Okay, welcome back to your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth. My name is Liam Sturgis, and I will be your host for today's show. We have a number of items to cover this week, but before we do, I'd like to make a special announcement. We have sponsors. Rounding the Earth is excited to announce our first ever sponsors. Starting today, we will be working alongside the Institute for Practical and Applied Knowledge Educational Systems, or IPAC EDU for short, and Blood of Tyrants Wine. Listeners of the Rounding of the Earth podcast are eligible for discounts from both companies, the proceeds of which will go to funding current and future Rounding the Earth projects. IPAC EDU is part of the shift away from traditional educational institutions with high quality instructors and courses at the top of their fields. Courses are available in the categories of psychology and wellness, health and wellness, analytics, biology, environmental and regenerative science, public health, chemistry and law. Use coupon code EARTH at checkout to save 5% on the price of any course. Now for this next sponsor, I'm going to play you a very fun video. Yes, as a wine fan myself, I'm very excited about this one. Blood of Tyrants is a fine wine with the perfect name, entirely metaphorical, of course. This Merlot comes from the part of Texas where the good grapes grow, according to Matthew, author of Rounding the Earth. According to their website, the wine is a rich Garnet color with flavors of black cherries, plums, and figs with soft and smooth finish. With its crisp acidity and ripe fruit flavors, this wine is an easy match for any occasion. Use coupon code EARTH to save $5 on each bottle. Breaking the news this past Wednesday on the Rounding the Earth Substack, Matthew explained, quote, Rounding the Earth, the Substack podcast, and all the forms we might take, spent several months casually mulling over whether to take on sponsors and how. At some point late last year, I decided that advertising and promotion could be kept at a personal level where I have a sense that who and what we advertise at Rounding the Earth aligns with our values. So that's what we've done thus far, and that is what we will continue to do. Another wonderful way to support Rounding the Earth is by purchasing your copy of Overcoming the COVID Darkness, a book written by Dr. Brian Tyson and Dr. George Farid, with contributions from Matthew Crawford. You can click the button that I will add into the description of this video. Uh, and if you purchase the book through that Amazon affiliate link, not only will we get a small commission uh, from uh, Matthew's contributions to the book, but Amazon will also give us a small cut. So very exciting times and we're very excited to be able to uh further fund uh making excellent informative educational content for you so a huge thank you to our sponsors and now without further ado let's move into the news for the week now the first story digital id arrives in canada 
for those of you who don't know, here in Canada, we have this phone app called Arrive Can. I don't know if it's just on iPhone or on Android as well, but it's horrible. And you, according to popular belief, must present it at the border in order to come in. You have to include your vaccination status as well as your uh, PCR test results if you're uh, I believe if you're unvaccinated in any case, coming amid calls to scrap the controversial arrive can vaccine slash travel passport application. Canada is officially acknowledging its plans to integrate digital identity to the lives of its citizens. As reported by True North, the government of Canada quietly published information on the program titled Canada's Digital Ambition 2022. And here is that page published early August. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms responded by publishing a report titled Canada's Road to Beijing, the Digital Threat to the Charter Rights and Freedoms of Canadians. Hashtag digital ID was trending on Twitter as of 1245 p.m. today. And here is a tweet from James Melville, uh, who writes, here's the WEF, World Economic Forum, version of digital ID. It's just a conspiracy theory, right? Nothing to see here whatsoever. So as we can see, people are becoming aware and frankly, a bit concerned about what it means to have a digital ID uh, mandated in our lives. Now, our next story. Lockdowns blame for silent health crisis of excess deaths. For some, this will be old news. For others, however, they are expressing frustration that it's only two and a half years later that their warnings are finally being admitted to. What's worse is that there may be an even darker reality hidden underneath this admission. According to the Daily Mail, as we see on the screen here, the Office for National Statistics in the United Kingdom reported that, quote, about 1,000 more people than usual are dying each week from illnesses and conditions other than COVID-19. This makes the rate of excess deaths 14.4% higher than the five-year average, meaning 1,350 more people have died than usual in the week ending August 5th. Indeed, COVID-19 is still being blamed for some of these excess deaths. However, the core argument is that lockdowns delayed important medical treatments and procedures for ailments like cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. It's important to distinguish, though, between healthcare withheld due to an institutional policy and healthcare not provided because it's impossible to provide. In 2020 and 2021, countries around the world canceled and delayed non-emergency surgeries to make room for potential COVID-19 patients. In 2022, however, hospitals physically can't provide these and other urgent procedures due to lack of resources. The Daily Mail reports, only last week, England-wide statistics showed that emergency care standards in hospitals hit an all-time low, with over 20,000 patients facing a 12-plus hour wait for medical treatment. And you can see this visualized on this graph here. There's always been delays in emergency centers, even in socialized countries with free health care. This is a new high, though. It's not good. The same thing is occurring across North America. A woman in Nova Scotia suffering intense stomach pain who had previously had appendicitis and other issues 
called for an ambulance that never arrived. This was blamed on a 10% increase in demand for ambulances this year, as well as a shortage of paramedics. A senior citizen in British Columbia, Canada, Nova Scotia and British Columbia both being provinces here. With a broken hip and a head injury, waited almost 12 hours before an ambulance arrived, even though she lived only 10 minutes from the hospital. Three in every 10 ambulances in the area, which is the greater Vancouver area where I live, are unmanned due to a paramedic shortage. Ottawa, Ontario is frequently left with no available ambulances to dispatch after a 20% increase over the prior three months. Increase in demand, that is. Why has the healthcare crisis gotten so much worse, particularly in the last year? Certainly, the effects of lockdown measures played a huge part in the increase of overall health issues. That's been well litigated. However, the wholesale lack of staff across health systems may have another contributor to consider. Healthcare workers fired for declining a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, in the United Kingdom, healthcare workers were subject to mandatory COVID-19 injections in order to retain their job. This policy was in effect from November 2021 to March 2022, a period during which the resulting staff shortage became too significant to maintain. As we can see, that led to the revoking of the policy. Nova Scotia implemented a policy for all healthcare workers that saw, quote, unvaccinated employees put on unpaid leave, which we're finding out more and more here in Canada and the United States. <laughs> this novel concept of putting someone on unpaid leave but not actually firing them is actually a constructive dismissal. And uh, it's causing some legal problems for the employers who did this. This policy remained in effect as of last month. The same goes, though, okay, for jurisdictions across Canada. Note as well that in July, a study from December, oh, sorry, in Italy, a study from December 2021 found a notable increase in sick leave requests among COVID, uh, following COVID 19 injection. After the first dose, 1.6% of healthcare workers requested a sick leave which jumped to 6.1% after the second dose. It was particularly bad for those with prior SARS-CoV-2 infection in between their first and second dose. As you can see, the title of this particular uh, paper in European Review for Medical and Pharmacological Sciences, the title is Sick Leave Request Following Anti-COVID-19 Vaccine Administration is Low Among Healthcare Workers. This is a case where it's important to not stop at the title. And this is where I think a lot of news headlines get their information. If they simply pulled this title, they would not get to the point where, hold on a second, you're telling me 6.1% of healthcare workers requested sick leave after the second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. So is this happening in other parts of the world? This is an open question. In short, between the effects of lockdown measures, the failure of COVID-19 vaccines to reduce the health burden of COVID-19, the systemic reduction in healthcare staff 
and the resulting increase in diseases of all kinds and all cause mortality, we are facing a global problem that needs to be addressed head on without further delay. Moving to our next story. More breakthrough cases of COVID-19 reported in the quadruple vaccinated. It's true. More high-profile breakthrough cases of COVID-19 were reported this week, including top officials in and around the U.S. government. Needless to say, I and rounding the earth wish all of those ill right now a speedy recovery. That should go without saying. We have Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who on Monday this past week revealed he had tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 for the second time. He was said to be suffering from mild symptoms. Thank goodness. Austin is quadruple vaccinated, having received one of his boosters in October 2021. He fell mildly ill with COVID about two and a half months later here in June or sorry, January 2022. Even closer to the White House, right beside the president, Jill Biden, the first lady. First Lady Jill Biden announced she had tested positive for the SARS-CoV-2 virus on Tuesday. This is in spite of her reportedly having received four doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA injection, most recently receiving a second booster dose, in other words, the fourth shot, in April this year. She's said to be experiencing mild and cold-like symptoms, which had already improved by Wednesday morning. In fact, I saw a follow-up article from yesterday that said she is steadily improving. So that is good news. She has been prescribed a course of Paxlovid, an experimental antiviral pill, which we've discussed before, available under an emergency use authorization and not approved by the FDA, which is also marketed by Pfizer. Here's the source for that claim of not being approved by the FDA because it's not. And out of the political sphere and into sports, Drew Locke. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Drew Locke also made the list, testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 for his second time. While not specifying how many doses he had taken, ESPN reported that he was vaccinated against COVID-19. He is not, or rather I should say, it is not clear to me in my research if he's experiencing any symptoms at all or if this decision to sideline him from his, apparently he was about to be opening quarterback for, I believe, the first time, uh, or, or, uh, or this was his first week, or something along those lines. So it's unclear. I hope he's not actually sick. But now, our major story for today. Smallpox vaccines don't appear to be helping the monkeypox situation. As I previously predicted, with some concern, the mass vaccination campaign against monkeypox is not going well. As you see on the screen, okay, people are now becoming very familiar with the concept of a breakthrough case, which occurs after someone receives a positive PCR or rapid antigen test result and or falls ill with COVID-19, despite having been injected with two, three, or four doses, though, of course, in some parts of the world, two doses is no longer considered fully vaccinated. If this occurs within two weeks of the most recent dose, that person is not considered to have been vaccinated and are lumped into the unvaccinated column. Just to reiterate, if you take a shot, let's say it's your second shot, 
and three days later you develop COVID, that is not considered to be a COVID case or a breakthrough case in a double vaccinated person. In some jurisdictions, it is marked as unvaccinated. In others, it's marked as not fully vaccinated. And we understand how these can be conflated and confused to the general public, especially given that jurisdiction by jurisdiction, it's a different definition. Citing the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Cleveland Clinic insists that breakthrough cases of COVID-19 are to be expected as no vaccine is 100% effective. Unfortunately, we're now hearing the first cases of breakthrough monkeypox. As reported by ABC News, monkeypox vaccine, not a silver bullet. WHO says as breakthrough cases emerge, as demand for monkeypox vaccines increases. The World Health Organization has begun to receive preliminary reports on the efficacy of the shots, which suggests there are breakthrough cases occurring, officials said Wednesday. We have known, this is now a quote, we have known from the beginning that this vaccine would not be a silver bullet, that it would not meet all the expectations that are being put on it, and that we don't have firm efficacy uh, or effectiveness data in this context, officials said during a press conference. Do you ever feel like you're experiencing deja vu, but at warp speed? Dan Duo, unfortunately, I feel this kind of news fuels the vax zealots. Why else would these news agencies publish this news? See, they got COVID and it was mild. Yes, I believe referring to the overall, uh, the situation of, uh, of, of everyone else getting sick. Taz says breakthrough. 1984 speak for ineffective vaccine. And if you'll hold on just a moment. I am for the first time finally reading 1984. And I now am becoming very familiar with the concepts of double think, double speak, thought crime. In my high school, some classes read both Brave New World and 1984. In my class, we only read Brave New World. But this is required reading for everybody. And in fact, I will put a affiliate link to buy your copy in the description after the video. Yes, in response to this uh, monkeypox situation, Spines in a Line says, yikes. And Dan Duo, yeah, this is just conditioning to make people accept an unnecessary product. And you've hit the nail on the head there, Dan, because none of this makes any sense except to confuse and, as you say, condition people into not needing to know or care whether something is safe, whether it works, or whether it's necessary at all. So let's, let's continue through this. Okay. First of all, it is entirely relevant to reiterate that the vaccines being administered are smallpox vaccines. Despite smallpox's declared eradication in 1980, samples of the virus were kept in reserve in the United States and Russia. Following the destruction of the World Trade Center on 9-11, and the deployment of weapons-grade anthrax through the United States Postal Service, otherwise known as the Amerithrax attacks. It seems that the fear of a bioweapons attack using the retained smallpox hit fever pitch, leading governments to call for the stockpiling of a new generation of smallpox vaccines. 
Part of the problem of the first two generations of vaccines was that they were notably risky. I have here a PLOS medicine paper titled Frequency of Adverse Events After Vaccination with Different Vaccinia Strains that goes through the evidence for that. And this is the MMWR Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. This is from February 21st, 2003, discussing, discussing smallpox vaccination and adverse reactions. I highly recommend you look through both of those uh, once the links are available after the show. One of the new candidates began trials around 2005, developed by a Danish biotechnology company called Bavarian Nordic. After their phase one clinical trial, they described the shot as a promising candidate for prophylactic mass immunization, even in subjects for whom conventional smallpox vaccines are contraindicated. I found this very relevant. The the specific wording of promising candidate for prophylactic mass immunization. I just want to reiterate, smallpox has supposedly not been a public health threat since its eradication in 1980. This is clearly not true, at least in terms of the official narrative. But there you go. It turns out that in March 2006, following the uh, the, sta- the phase one clinical trial, they, Bavaria Nordic was already thinking of it as useful for a mass vaccination campaign. And by the way, it turns out this study, which will also be available in the, in the uh, description after, was funded by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which was run by Anthony Fauci. Fun coincidence, I'm sure. The product here, as you can see, this is the product known as Invimune in Canada, Genios in the United States, and Invanex in Europe. This is the one currently being mass administered. Okay, to be very specific. The vaccine then went through phase two and three clinical trials, leading to its approval by Health Canada in 2013 which I will find here, there you go, for, quote, active immunization against smallpox in a public health emergency, 2013. Bavarian Nordic asked the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to approve the vaccine for the same purpose in 2018. However, in 2019, the company submitted a revised request asking for monkeypox to be included in its approved uses. This was granted, as you see here, in September 2019. Health Canada also expanded their authorization in 2020 to allow for its use in preventing, quote, monkeypox and related orthopox virus infections in adults 18 years of age and older at high risk of exposure. And the source for that is back here in this Ontario Health document. Okay, now the timing of all of this is interesting. Especially, as some may wonder, if the proximity of these approvals might suggest foreknowledge of an upcoming outbreak. This is bolstered by the fact that the Nuclear Threat Initiative, 
led a pandemic simulation exercise at the Munich Security Conference in March 2021, notably including many of the same individuals and organizations who participated in the 2019 event 201 and have played key roles in the subsequent COVID-19 crisis. In any case, I would argue that lack of knowledge can be just as meaningful as foreknowledge. The Imvimmune Genios Imvanex smallpox vaccines are not well understood, and the clinical data supporting their safety is concerning. The product monograph seen here states that 1.4% of people who were vaccinated, 1.4%, here we go, 1.4% of people who were vaccinated experienced cardiac-related adverse events. This number jumps to 2.1% in people who had previously received a smallpox vaccine earlier in life. As we've learned from the COVID-19 injection campaign, cardiac events are nothing to sneeze at. There's no such thing as mild myocarditis, for example. As far as efficacy goes, the revised authorizations from Health Canada and the FDA were not based on additional trials to specifically test for its use in preventing monkeypox. In fact, this was simply inferred based on limited antibody response data from animal studies with no human participants tested in this context. Further, Every official piece of documentation I've come across has indicated that insufficient or no testing has been done on pregnant or breastfeeding women or immunocompromised individuals, which a couple of things. First, I repeat what I said last week. What could be going on in our world right now that may be contributing to a large scale immunocompromising effect? Hmm. The second thing. AIDS is an immunocompromised state. AIDS, at its beginning, was considered a gay virus. Therefore, it's interesting, once again, that we continue to discuss monkeypox as being one that primarily affects the homosexual and or rather non-heterosexual community. The ones who historically have been associated with immunodeficiency. It's correlation, not causation, I'm sure, okay? And very few elderly people or children have ever been examined. As an additional reminder, the World Health Organization themselves were concerned enough about this to issue a statement emphasizing that anyone taking this shot for monkeypox is doing so in the context of a clinical trial. I will now play you Polly St. George's excellent reporting on this, and you should watch her full video on Rumble. Uh, I, I would like to underline one thing that is very important to WHO. Uh, we do have uncertainties around the effectiveness of these vaccines because they haven't been used in this context and in this scale before. And therefore, that when these vaccines are being delivered, that they are delivered in a context of uh, clinical trial studies and prospectively collecting this data to increase on our understanding on the effectiveness of these vaccines. Thank you. So as I said, go to Rumble and watch uh, Amazing Polly. Polly St. George's wonderful reporting on this. It's a fantastic video that we've watched before. Okay.
Of course, this is not something, though, that the average person could be expected to know. It's not exactly been the leading message, you know, hey, this is a clinical trial that you're participating in. And we can likely assume that properly disclosing this fact up front would contribute to vaccine hesitancy, which seems to be public health's worst nightmare. That is, until the breakthrough cases started happening. The WHO's uncertainty is being reported only after, say, 634,000 doses of Ginios have been shipped throughout the United States. ABC News in their reporting specifically states that the WHO is only now receiving, quote, preliminary reports on the efficacy of the shots, confirming that those taking the shots are the ones providing the clinical data as opposed to benefiting from robust safety and efficacy trials that many inevitably believe it's still the case. It's not. Quoting the WHO's technical lead on monkeypox, Dr. Rosamond Lewis, Fortune writes, quote, breakthrough infections have occurred when the vaccine was given before exposure to high-risk individuals as well as when it was given after exposure in hopes of preventing infection. In other words, folks, reported cases of monkeypox are still occurring regardless of if the vaccines are given in advance, you know, to immunize against the virus, or after exposure, when there exists a narrow window, hypothetically, before symptoms occur, if they will at all. That accounts for all possible options. You can't administer a shot to someone who has developed symptoms, as that dramatically increases the likelihood of severe adverse events, as we also saw with the COVID-19 injections. And remember, the limited clinical trial data that does exist showed that these shots are almost doubly as dangerous for those who have previously had a smallpox vaccine. Most frightening of all, is that the monkeypox cases are apparently soaring worldwide, jumping 20% over the last week alone. For some reason, everyone remains focused on increasing the uptake of these unproven and likely completely unnecessary vaccines, with Los Angeles now, off, now officially offering second doses of this allegedly high-demand vaccine. Well, folks, I'm proud to say this is the first time I've finished at the 30-minute mark, and I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. So I want to thank you all for watching, okay? And uh, I want to share, in addition to the sponsorships which we have, and by the way, we're not intending to spend an inordinate amount of time, not quite as long as I did today, uh, on sponsorships and, and on advertising to you. It's important to me. I'm very excited. Matthew's very excited. We want to make sure you know as soon as possible that these have arrived. But the content that we share will continue to be content forward, community driven, and uh, engaging and fun. I, I, I have no intention of becoming a marketing. I, I have no intention of becoming a salesperson. Let's put it that way. That being said, if you want to support Rounding the Earth, the best way to do so remains to become a paid subscriber to the Rounding the Earth newsletter on Substack. If you are currently a free subscriber, uh, by the way, that's awesome in and of itself. But if you can afford to upgrade to a paid subscription, we recommend that you do as there's exclusive content, particularly in the Bitcoin realm, exclusive to 
the paid subscriptions. You can also, as you're watching this show on Rumble, you'll see on the right-hand side of uh, this current video, the Rumble Rant section, where you can leave a paid comment, and you can also donate $5 easily on Rockfin. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. I've had a wonderful time with you today, and I am very much looking forward to our next roundtable discussion coming to you this Tuesday. Thank you. I can be found at www.liamsturgis.com or at the Liam Sturgis on Twitter. We will see you again very soon. Mm -hmm.